Hey, founders, welcome back to another episode of the Gab Lab. So glad you're here. Thank you for joining. This is a show that is designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only blow your mind, but it will help you build your bottom line. Our episode champions today are our very good friends at Community Future Sunrise. Thank you for all that you do. CF Sunrise, they are an office in Southeast Saskatchewan, helping founders build their business and nail their numbers. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods-Richardson, and today's guest is Nail the Numbers Pro, Shannon Peston. Shannon is the CEO and founder of Peston Consulting. She is also a former banker, and she's here to share with us everything we need to know as it pertains to debt financing, how to access that capital, get it in the bank so that we can build and grow our business. So stay tuned. Looking forward to the show. We'll see you in the lab. All right. Welcome, founders. Here we go. Today's episode, as we just talked about, it's all about debt. And we are joined by Neil the Number Pro, Shannon Peston. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you today talking money and debt. Oh, <laughs> not a lot of people get excited to talk about debt, but you do. Um, you know, I'm I'm really excited to have you here. This is uh, this is a long time in the making just for everybody watching in. I remember I first was introduced to you, Shannon. It was uh, it feels like decades ago with this pandemic, but I think it was probably about 2017 and I was in Calgary at the time and I was watching this flur flurry of activity on, on Twitter and this discussion around debt and banking and um, your handle, you were at the center of it all, educating and empowering people on specifically women on debt. And uh, I knew at that point I needed to, to meet you. And I think that's when I first reached out to you on Twitter to say hello. We did, and I love that it was Twitter that connected us. I mean, we obviously have a shared passion for supporting entrepreneurs, but uh, yeah, it's so funny how you meet people nowadays and uh, grateful that you did reach out on Twitter. There we go. And well, what are we now? We're, we're five, six years later and our world is, uh, our world has changed. So um, the topic today, I'm very excited about this topic, specifically as we're talking about debt for the founders listening in. This is really um, in, in line with looking for financing for your business, understanding that you typically have two options. You have either debt uh, that you can go after or you also have equity financing. And we did a whole other episode on equity financing. But when we're talking about debt today, we're talking about debt financing. And um, Shannon, where, where, to, where to start with this? I know that... Um, I know that oftentimes there's this adage out there that uh, there is such a thing as good debt. I hear that oftentimes. I think maybe we, we need to explore that a little bit so we don't get people into trouble. But maybe can you just talk a little bit about what debt financing is so that people are crystal clear as to what they're getting involved with? Yeah, great question. And, you know, there's there are so many different types of financing now that I think breaking it down um, as you are, it makes perfect sense. And debt financing really means that you have somewhere a creditor that you have to pay back within a certain time period. There's an agreed upon understanding of what that debt is going to look like. Um, and it's fixed with certain terms around it. At the same time, once um, you have paid off that debt, the commitment to the to the lender 
no longer exists. So you talked about equity last week, equity, you've got an investor, they're always there in the company. Debt financing, like primarily the financial institutions are the number one source where entrepreneurs will get their small business and growth financing from. But we see other groups as well. So anyone that's offering a term where there's a debt repayment, there's an agreed upon price, you, you know when you're coming out of that debt, um, that is the that's the essential components of debt financing. And when, so that, that um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when they say that, you know, debt can be good, when do you see accumulating, no, I don't want to say accumulating, but when do you see taking on debt as being a good thing for a small business owner? Another great question, because I think a lot of people um, don't really know how to use debt in a positive way. And so when you're thinking about growing your business, it, you would want to bring in debt when somehow that debt is going to help you increase your revenue. Somehow you want to be able to tie it to growth. You never want to go asking for money when you're in trouble because that is not good debt. But when you're using debt, let's say to buy equipment or to go into a new space, knowing how to use debt to grow the company is, is, is a great growth strategy because let's face it, most entrepreneurs don't have that much capital sitting in their personal bank accounts to grow on their own. So when the business is sustainable and able to carry its own debt for the purposes of growth or expansion, that kind of debt is, is good debt. That's an investment in your business is a way that I would see that one. And so smart, right? So smart. I wish, I personally wish more founders were thinking about uh, turning their business into an investment. You know, that's one of my soapboxes out there, but uh, really understanding how that money is going to make money for you in the business. So that's a form of, of good debt. Uh, I know we've gone through a year unlike any other that we have gone through before. I'm not going to lie, it hurts my heart a little bit. I understand the intention of the government when um, all of these subsidies came into play. I imagine the vast majority of businesses took access to that, to that capital, um, which is debt, right? There's only a portion of that that's forgivable without necessarily the intention of this money needs to be making money, right? It was really just surviving. So now everybody's balance sheets are probably a little wonky with respect to debt, which kind of brings me into this next question around the pros and cons of debt. So obviously one of the pros, as you just mentioned, is that when you can borrow money and take that money and make more money, obviously that's gonna work for you. Uh, what are some of the other pros and cons? Well, maybe we'll, let's just talk about pros for a moment here. What are some of the other pros to taking on debt in the business? Well, again, the true pros of taking it on is that it is growth capital. It is the way to help you grow your business, invest in the company. And you can really grow your company by using your own, you know, your retained earnings in your company. If you wanted to do it that way, that's part of the purpose of retained earnings. But oftentimes, if you're trying to grow, you maybe you've got a great contract that's up, or maybe you have the opportunity to um, increase your production by using debt, that's certainly a pro because it's giving you external capital, someone else's money that you get to be able to use. When we think about some of the pros, I think the biggest pro is that you main control of your company. You're not giving up any ownership. So whether it's the financial institutions, whether it's groups like uh, Community Futures or Futurepreneurs, some of these other uh, organizations that do lend to entrepreneurs, um, we don't, there's no interest in the business. We want to make sure as a, as a lender that you have the cash flow to be able to support that debt. And that's the biggest concern for a lot of these organizations. 
you sort of have this predictability as well when you have debt financing because you haven't agreed upon terms, uh, terms of reference around what that loan looks like. You know what your interest is, you know how long the amortization is, you know what your monthly payments are. And as I mentioned earlier, once that debt is repaid, you have no further commitment. So that that breaks off, which is which is huge. And it's also, I would a less costly form of financing compared to something like equity financing. So I think those would probably be the pros. I maybe another pro too from the tax side is a lot of the fees and the interest uh, expense are things that you can um, claim as expenses for with respect to the taxes. Good point. Good point. Uh, you said something I think is really important to dig into there for a moment. You talked about it's less costly than equity financing. How so? Can you get into into that a little bit? Well, equity financing, there's, I mean, there's your direct costs and there's some of the indirect costs, like the time, for example, that you're trying to find investors, like you think about the time in the business and what that costs you as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. But also like when we take a look at equity financing, it's a lot riskier capital than the financial institutions. And so um, the cost of it, you have more costs for due diligence when you're looking at equity. Yes, there are costs to doing bank financing. Um, but typically you're not spending the same kind of money on professional services. Your accounting needs to go deeper. Your legal fees are going to go deeper. Um, that being said, those are all necessary parts of the process. And for those companies that equity financing is better suited to them, that's just part of, that's just part of the way the, the, the game works, the system works. Yeah. What it, well, what an, uh, it's another brilliant um, insight there that you're sharing because you're you're right and some of the work that i've done with with uh with tech founders specifically budgeting for fundraising was actually one of those line items that we had to to put in there the amount of travel and pitching and you know the, all the per diems to actually get that message out um so budgeting for time and then budgeting for those extra expenses the term sheets the due diligence the ndas all the professional services brilliant that is super Super important. Thank you for sharing that. Really great insight there. Okay, that brings us now to some of the cons on debt. So what should founders be aware of uh, when it comes to taking on debt into their business? Yes, there's a couple of cons. Like anything, there's pros and cons to any type of, anytime you're looking at external financing. The biggest con uh, I would say is that as soon as the loan is on the book, so to speak, so the loan has been deposited to the borrower, you have a payment immediately. So cash flow becomes an issue. So unlike equity investment where they'll be more patient and they're gonna to wait till the business actually meets some milestones, the same is not true within a debt uh, environment. You have a payment that begins almost immediately. So cash flow is, uh, can be compromised, especially when you're a startup in, in that particular space, you need to be making enough revenues to be able to support that debt. So um, then, then that's where a lot of the bankers are very, they will do their due diligence to take a look at, you know, what do your projections look like? How is this loan going to help you uh, grow and how, you know, making sure that you can actually pay it back. The other one is that you don't have um, the flexibility to start changing the terms. Once you've agreed to a loan term to say, I'm, you know, for it's going to be a 20 year amortization or it's going to have this interest rate, that commitment letter would stand until such, such time that the loan comes up for renewal. But a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, maybe you come into some tough times and it's really hard all of a sudden to say to the bank, well, I need an extra couple of years to pay because chances are that's not going to happen. Um, the other piece of it I would say too is, is that um, personal guarantees come into play. People get really um, you know, awkward with when it comes to personal guarantees and the security panel 
of what comes into debt often um, is a turnoff for entrepreneurs. Again, banks and are more conservative lenders. And so they want, they really don't want to be um, lending out to a company that they don't believe can take out that, that debt. Um, and sometimes there are reporting requirements as well that come into play. Can I jump in just for a quick second? Because yeah. you, you touched on something extremely important that I think um, many founders aren't aware of, the promissory note. The, and I, they just see this legal document and they're so desperate for money. In most cases, oftentimes I, I suspect that you have witnessed this too. Many founders are coming to you when they need the money, not want the money, right? It's like, this would be nice to have. So can you explain for everybody watching what that promissory note is? Yeah, so the personal guarantee is, is a big part of the security. We call it the security panel in banking. And if you're a sole prop, you are automatically personally tied in to that loan. So there's no, there's no getting around it. The loan is to you because you are the sole prop. Everything is in the name of the entrepreneur. A lot of people will think, well, if I incorporate my company, I now have some protection legally, which is true. However, uh, banks and other lenders will want a personal guarantee because of that separation because there's no way if the business goes under, they still want to be able to recover that loss. I mean, you can imagine what would happen if everyone set up a corporation and could walk away. And that's, that's the mechanism by which the lenders protect themselves. A couple of important parts to note, generally speaking, when it looks, when we're looking at, and I keep saying words, if we're still, I'm still in the banking, I'm not, but I'll speak on behalf of the industry here. But when we take a look at personal guarantees, typically anybody that has 25% uh, ownership in the company as shareholders can expect to be tied into a, into a personal guarantee. Um, if you have, let's say, a company that is owned by another company, corporate guarantees will come into play as well. So there's different types of making sure they tie in the personal and whoever the guarantors are on the loan. I think what's important to note about personal guarantees is that they are negotiable in the sense that you could have an unlimited corporate guarantee where the bank would say your, your guarantee is unlimited to the amount that is owing still on the loan. You can't go beyond what the bank, what the bank has extended credit to the entrepreneur. So you can't go beyond the bank can't suddenly ask for a million dollars if your loan is at 200,000 as an example. Um, but the banks, yeah, certainly personal guarantees, you can absolutely expect them. So you can try and negotiate with them over time. And a lot of it has to do with the relationship that you have with the bank as well because over time, personal guarantees actually can get released. And it's when the bank starts to know you as, as a borrower. And it, there's a lot of other things that come into play too. Personal net worth comes into play. Like you can't look at one, uh, one deal structure and apply that broad stroke uh, brush across all deals because there's so much that does change within the strength of a business and the strength of the people in that business. Mm. And is, speaking about people, you met, you you really zoned in on a, uh, a key word there, which is relationships, right? And I, it, it, I can only imagine that the, uh, the significance and importance of building and fostering that relationship with your account representative over time, sending them the financials, keeping them up to speed on what is happening in the business, the good and the bad and the ugly, right? And, and not going into ghost mode. Um, so, so key. I want to touch on what you just said there too, because I think you have to, you, you, you can't overlook the importance of the relationship. And it's not just trying to be your banker's friend, but let's kind of, I'll put it in this in perspective a little bit. When you're an entrepreneur and you're going to the bank, your job is to sell yourself and the business to the banker. 
Then the banker has to go off and sell you and your business to the credit department. So the more that the banker understands about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly is really important. No banker wants to have to find things out later that weren't good, something that they could have been a part of the conversation or a part of a solution, because it shapes the character of an entrepreneur. And character is one of the most important uh, considerations that banks look at when they're lending. So I've always said to entrepreneurs, build a relationship with your banker, let them know what you're doing, invite them into your business, like consider them part of your supply chain, like they are a key partner in your business. So be inviting them, keeping them up to date. And that relationship piece, when times are tough, and you have a relationship with your lender, they know how to support you differently. And the last thing you want to do is hide from your banker. You know, when something is going wrong, you don't want to just walk away. And I think, you know, there's, there might be a generational thing here too, because I know that my dad, when I first went into banking, he was like, oh, we didn't tell our bankers anything. You know, we kept everything because uh, they always thought banks as, you know, strapping, you know, strapping the entrepreneur's hand, they weren't necessarily helpful. Um, and I did see that with like some of the entrepreneurs that I worked with when they took over generally generational businesses, because suddenly they wanted the advice of the banker. And they were taught, like, don't tell your banker things, but super important. And that relationship, I, I can't understate how important that is. Well, and I, you know, for me, that the one of the, the mind blowing moments there that you talked about is just seeing them as a, as a piece of your supply chain, right? Like one of your team um, that's there. So it's not just about getting the money, putting in the account and never seeing them again, right? They're, they're hopefully there throughout the life span of the business. So brilliant. Um, so can we just, as we're kind of wrapping up this, this part one, which is really all about debt, can we just explore a little bit the debt landscape? Because I know that you're sharing with us your, your perspective as a banker. Um, you've mentioned a couple of, of organizations out there, like our episode champion, Community Futures and Futurepreneur. Uh, but what are all the different sources of debt that a founder might be able to access from early startup days up to the, you know, these, these growth and um, growth and expansion and maybe even succession strategies. So big question, sir, maybe I'll try tackle this in, in a couple of different ways. The first is where can you get debt capital from? So yes, traditional banks, 100% credit unions would be another um, source of financing. You could look at, um, there, we're starting to see some peer-to-peer -peer lending circles in the online world. We're also seeing alternative lenders such as the fintechs coming in and doing online lending mm. uh, as well. So that's also a form of debt. And then we have a lot of the uh, developmental lenders, as you mentioned, Community Futures, which is across the country. There's Futurepreneur across the country, some of the women's uh, enterprise organizations across the country as well. So there's different groups of um, whether it's formal institutions or we're starting to see, like I said, some of these informal. So that would be where you can go to access the funding. As, as far as different types of debt, we would look at say credit or credit cards. Uh, we would look mm -hmm. at operating lines of credit for businesses. We would look at term debt for credit um, for, for businesses as well. So there's, um, there's lots of different types and knowing when these come into play is a whole other conversation because people often don't know what type of financing they need. But as you're starting out uh, with businesses, typically you'll see more reliance on credit cards as a, as a way of coming in and proving, um, proving the business, which is trickier because there's higher interest rates that go 
along with that piece. Um, and, and lines of credit become available to entrepreneurs as well, depending on if they're secured or unsecured. And I guess this is another part too, because you'll have secured debt, um, which means it's secured against an asset. You're pledging something uh, in return for that debt. And there's unsecured lines of credit, which is all reliant on the person behind the business, but you're going to get less money in that in that sense. Um, and then there's different term debt. So term debt could be used for multiple, multiple different reasons. You could have working capital term debts or to buy equipment or to buy real estate. Um, so growth capital. So there's a whole debt is a very um, it's a big picture. And I hope I'm not sure if I answered the question. No, there, you but did. It's great. It's I think, you know, just to your point. Um, it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's a tough nut to crack, but there's lots of forms of debt that people can access. And I know in those early stages, it can be overwhelming for a lot of founders trying to figure out where to go. I love that you talked about credit card debt, because oftentimes it's the first place, because it's the easiest place, it drives me nuts, right? But you're, you're right, it's like 19.99 if they're young and don't have a lot of history there, it could be 24.99 that they're paying on a credit card. And that can, you know, I, I wanna be mindful of my language here, but that could kill you, that could hurt, right? Just servicing the debt and, and not forecasting that interest in, in terms of payments. So um, it almost sounds like that would be a whole other episode to understand exactly where you tap into specific debt, at what point, when. Um, but what I'm hearing here too, and I get maybe I'm just bringing my own experience into this story, is that oftentimes this developmental financing, as you talked about, whether it's, you know, um, for women entrepreneurs, indigenous entrepreneurs, industry specific entrepreneurs, right, lots of different organizations out there, they can be a really good place to turn to at, for your first introduction into debt financing, like Community Futures, where it's like, here's what I need to do. How do I put this together? And maybe as we wrap this segment up, I promise, it, it, have you found in your experience, is it common for debt financing to be bundled from multiple providers, that it doesn't all need to come from one source, it can come from multiple sources? It can be 100% in groups like the Community Futures, groups like uh, some of the Winter, Women's Enterprise Centers, Futurepreneurs will take a subordinated position, which means they allow lenders to take the number one security position. And that's really important for the bank. When they lend some money, they want to make sure that they're first in line to be repaid. Some of the developmental lenders will come on second to that. So yeah, I mean, I've done in my past, I've done lots of deals that were enhanced through some of the development uh, developmental lenders. So they're a vital part of the funding ecosystem. And sometimes when the banks say no, they're a great place to just go to because they will take a, they will take a little bit more risk um, and they have a different mandate. And so like super important part of the uh, funding ecosystem. Beautiful. Okay, thank you so much, Shannon. You you gave it your all on this one. We we um, we took some time to really explore that, but such valuable information and insight into better understanding debt and the pros and cons of debt and obviously the landscape. So thank you for joining us for part one. Uh, founders, if you're watching or listening to this, please come back for part two. We're actually going to uncover some of the hidden things that you might wanna know about debt financing before you jump in. And then in part three, we're actually going to explore what you need to have prepared to actually approach uh, debt finance here. All right, thank you, and we'll see you back here for part two of uh, Better Understanding Debt Financing. Bye for now.
All right, welcome back founders. Great to have you here for part two of Better Understanding Debt Financing. We are joined in the lab by Nail the Number Pro, Shannon Peston. Uh, Shannon is the founder and CEO of Peston Consulting, and she's also the co-founder of the Finance Cafe, which is an online financial literacy program specifically for women entrepreneurs. So Shannon, thanks for coming back here for part two, where we're getting into getting into debt. <laughs> Another one of my yeah yeah I like I love this topic so uh, let's keep it rolling I'm happy to be in part two as well so thank you all right so part two what we really want to cover off on is uh, really understanding what the lender is going to be looking at some of the criteria as you now approach the lender what you would take into consideration to either yay it or nay the uh, the plan itself all right where do you want to start on this one well. You know, I'm going to start with the five C's of credit, but I'm going to just back up a second and talk about I really wish that um, this is something that lenders could do a better job on. I wish they could really educate um, the borrowers when they're coming in to say, here's how we're going to be looking at the deal. And I, this is an area that I think is a huge growth opportunity because what happens is sometimes entrepreneurs are going to come in and if they get a no, they have no idea why. And they don't know how this whole thing balances out to say, are you a credit worthy business and are you a credit worthy entrepreneur? So we're going to get into the five C's of credit. I'm going to talk to you about some of the, the, the key pieces that the bankers are looking at when they're assessing your deal. The first one is character. And this is a loaded one. And sometimes with character, this is where relationships come into play. This is where your personal credit score comes into play. It's helping to assess you as the borrower, as an individual, what do we know about you? What do we know about Tanya? What do we know about her passion? What do we know about her in the industry? What do we know about her past, uh, her past credit history and her history of repaying bills? And credit character becomes really important in credit because often, as the saying would go, the best way to predict future behavior is to look at the past. And, and this character is, is, while it's super important, I wanna say that even people that don't have perfect credit scores can still go in for lending. So there's five, there's five criteria here. So we'll talk about the balance of all of these. Um, but you don't have to have perfect credit to go into the financial institutions. And I think that's really also important to highlight because a lot of people shy away saying, oh, I don't, I've got a little blemish here that I don't want to talk about. But again, character also speaks to how do you bounce back? How have you turned things around? How can you mitigate certain things? But at the end of the day, banks are lending to a business, but they also want to know about the entrepreneur because management management experience is vitally important. So some of the tips that I have for people around this is really knowing what your credit history looks like. I think a lot of people don't think that they can just go ahead and obtain their credit score. And I actually recommend that people find out what their scores, see if there's any discrepancies on there. Many times when we would go into lending and when you are going for lending, the bank is going to ask to do a credit search on you. That is a given. So um, these things are going to come up, but sometimes there's mistakes that are are sitting on your credit bureau that are impacting your score. Mm. So if you don't if you don't know to pull it, you might you might have cleared something up years ago that is still sitting there impacting you. So that's the first five C. So they're going, banks are going to assess it through third party documents like in Equifax, like looking at your credit score. They're going to take a look at what your business experience is, how how you're going to perform as an entrepreneur. So any awards, any reputational. Um, uh, things that you want to promote now is your time. And also, this is where the relationship that you have with the banker comes into play again, because a banker is going to speak to your character. So that's the first C. Any questions on that one, Tanya, before I move in? 
Oh, well, I, I actually want to do a happy dance. <laughs> Everything you were saying, I was like, yes, yes. So, uh, so many founders resist looking at their credit score. They're afraid of what it's going to say. And um, it's, you know, just looking at it and seeing where it's at and then being able to remedy the situation or at least being able to explain and articulate any blemishes as you put, uh, as you put it uh, when you meet, uh, when you meet the banker. So thank you for bringing that up. I think that is so, so important. And, um, you know, I know a lot of founders out there, a lot of women founders, too. We're always striving for perfection. And those small little things that we see tend to hold us back from, you know, pursuing those dreams. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that we're not looking for perfection here. We're just looking for some accountability and honesty and how you get through it. Okay. So just want to let you know, I was doing a happy dance there. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think like you said, you got to be able to speak to it because I think everything is mitigatable, if that's a word. Like, I think there's always a story there and let's face it, life can be messy. We all go through different parts of, you know, of our lives at different points in time. Financially, sometimes we look stronger than other points in time. And so it's, it's, but you need to have that power to even know where you stand going into that. Cause the last thing you want is to find out from the banker where your credit score is sitting and you just automatically feel like you've lost your power. And so I'll, I'll just say that. The next one I'm going to go on uh, with the five C's is capacity. So when bankers are looking at lending you money, it's all about cash flow. It's all about how do you prove you can pay that loan back? No bank wants to give a business money if they don't believe that the business itself, not the entrepreneur, we always want to make sure that the business can stand on its own. And sometimes that feels really rough for entrepreneurs to have to hear, but it's protecting the entrepreneur as well. And sometimes entrepreneurs don't realize if you can't show the debt servicing, you're going to be in trouble and you don't ever want to be in that position. Because as I've said, as soon as you get a loan, you're starting to make those payments. Those payments are going to be impacting your cash flow immediately. So this is all about your ability to repay the debt um, and making sure that you've got enough money still left to cover your operations in your company, which is, which is really key. Um, can and I so, just say something in there? And yeah. and fair market salary. And fair market, fair market yes, salary and for the owner. Market. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, and, but, you know, sometimes though, too, with businesses that are starting out, um, owner salaries are, are a huge drain on the cash flow as well. And that can be preventative. So really knowing what you need as an entrepreneur to be living is absolutely important. So you've got to be thinking about that when you're going into actually any, any financial decision you make, when you're looking at your business, you should be saying, what do I want out of this as an entrepreneur? And what do I need to be paying myself to get the lifestyle that I want? So some of the ways to improve capacity, and again, like I said, we've got five C's of credit. Not all are going to be perfect. They're going to, some are going to be higher than others, but you want to be able to show your cash flow by looking at some of your ratios. Banks are going to be looking at um, your debt service credit you know, ratio. We're going to talk about ratios in a minute, so I'm not going to get hung up here. They're going to take a look at your working capital position as well to make sure that you can be liquid enough to pay for your, your debts. Can I just, can I just jump in just there? I, that, I think that's an important statement and I just uh let's just clarify working capital working capital is money in the bank right that you've got cash that you can access to cover your expenses that's is that what you mean by liquidity that you're 
this is a well-greased machine. Money comes in, you can cover expenses, you're liquid. Okay. I just wanted so, to clarify that. Yeah, 100%. It's that you could, you've got enough assets sitting in your, sitting in your current assets that you can convert something. If it's not cash, you convert it very quickly to pay your bills on time is what, what's really important there. Thanks, um, so that's capacity is showing that the business has the capacity to repay the debt. Um, the next five C is capital. And this is all about the entrepreneur showing that they have skin in the game. So if you think about it, you want to put it into sometimes this, this analogy works good, but you go, you buy a house, the bank is never going to pay a mortgage or give you a mortgage that's to the full value of your house. They're going to expect that you have some equity, something that you're putting into that mortgage as well. The same is true in business lending. And this is really important for entrepreneurs to know because there's a ratio, again, we'll talk about ratios in a moment, but there's a ratio that actually measures how your company is funded. And banks and investors want to see that you have skin in the game and that you have an investment in there. We call this your owner's equity. So how much equity do you have in the company? And that's really, really important. Often what will happen is entrepreneurs at the end of the year, they go visit their accountant, they want to pay the minimal amount of taxes. And so they'll take everything out of the company, which is fine if you don't need to borrow money. But if you need to borrow money and you don't have any equity in the company, the bank's going to say, no, no, thank you. You don't have enough skin in the game and we're not taking 100% of the risk. And that relationship with the bank, again, all comes down to you're sharing the risk with the lender. And, and uh, entrepreneurs need to, need to think about it in that regard as well. They're sharing a risk. So there's that's where that agreed upon negotiation kind of comes from to say, like, we're both in this together. Yeah. So that's the, that's the capital uh, piece of this. And entrepreneurs are going to see what have, you got, what have you got invested. And we can talk a little bit more about what that makes up that investment, uh, Tanya, in, in a moment. But I just want to get through the other two sees unless you have a question just well it's i'm just wondering so what you just said there it reminded me of it's come up in many episodes before where oftentimes we refer to one area of expertise like an accountant right and oftentimes we don't even know what to ask we're just trusting on their expertise they're filing the report they tell us how much we owe in taxes and then we pay it and the advice in in other episodes and what i'm hearing you say here too in in correct me if i'm wrong but it's finding your, as you talked about the supply chain, but who is your team, your accountant, your lawyer, your banker, your financial advisor, your planner, all of them should be working together to understand what you're actually in the process of building so that you don't, or one individual like an accountant doesn't make decisions based on what they think you need or want, but it's this entire cheerleading squad that's there helping you move that ball forward down the line um, and everyone's doing what's in the best interest of the business not just now but for the long-term game right sorry I just wanted to throw that in there because that's important and I actually want to just jump on that one is jump on that one as well because I think this is where entrepreneurs get into that trap of working in their business and not on their business and you need to know what your goals are as a business owner Always, you need to know how the company is performing because you're making key financial decisions as well. You can't just go to an accountant and say, here's my information at the end of the year and expect them to give you good advice. They're going to be giving you good advice based on what's important to you. What do you want to accomplish this year? Do you have growth plans? Are you looking at exiting? And sometimes the, the professionals aren't asking these questions, but it doesn't mean that entrepreneurs shouldn't be thinking about them and putting some of that, um, some of that accountability back on themselves. 
But again, we get so busy working in our businesses that sometimes we don't stop and say, okay, am I on track for what I want to be able to achieve? Where do I need to pivot? And we're so busy just getting all of our crap ready for year end yeah. that we just, we just want it off. We just want it off our, our desks. Yeah. And uh, so I, but I think that's really a, a really important note though, that all of these players need to be working together in the best interest of your business. But if they don't know what is important to you, it's really hard to deliver that kind of value. Happy dance again. So thank you for that. And, and just, you know, if it helps anybody, one of the things that I love to do personally is just every quarter sitting down and asking those questions that you just asked, right? This was the goal. Where are we at? What do we need to adjust? So sorry, Shannon, I know you want to move on through this, but. Um, no, I'm, I mean, I'm good. These are all important conversations. And I think things that we haven't spoken about and the industry hasn't spoken about it. And so I'm happy to take this time because it is important. And entrepreneurs also need to know that this is part of the accountability. When you start as an entrepreneur, you're often not thinking you've got to be an accountant, you've got to be HR, you've got to be marketing. But the most important hat you're going to wear is the financial hat, because without the financial hat, you don't have a sustainable business. And so I just think that part that I'm happy to spend spend time there. But moving on to my fourth C <laughs> is, is all around collateral. Now, we talked a little bit about this before, but when you're going into debt lending situations, you're going to have potentially most likely, I should say, secured debt. There's unsecured debt, which means you can go in, maybe get a line of credit up to a certain amount of money that's unsecured. There's no tangible asset tied to that other than the personal guarantee, which will always tie you in if there's no hard security. But when you're looking at maybe buying a building or looking at buying equipment, you want to really think about what the loan purpose is. So what you're getting that loan for, because the bank is going to say, well, what kind of security can you offer in exchange? Now, if you're buying a, a building to operate out of, the building is going to be that asset. If you're buying a vehicle for the business, the vehicle will be that asset. If you're buying a pizza oven to, you know, increase, you know, your locations, the pizza oven, that equipment will become the tangible security. The security is generally tied to whatever it is that you're buying. That loan purpose is really, really important. Um, so subsequent to that, you'll also look at personal guarantees. And again, I mentioned earlier that the personal guarantees can be um, unlimited or they can be to a certain amount. I always liked the unlimited guarantee just from a banker's perspective because it didn't mean you had to go to the lawyers every time you wanted to increase your lending value. So, because it, again, because it can only ever be tied to the amount of loan that you have outstanding, you know, it just, it prevented this extra layer of legal work. Um, but we often, again, as an industry, don't explain the personal guarantee very well. The other thing that trumps uh, entrepreneurs is what we call the general security agreement, a GSA. And that GSA is what takes the charge over all the business's assets. And what that means is in a case of default, uh, the bank gets paid first. So if you have, let's say you're an agriculture company and you've got a John Deere tractor, as an example, and you happen to have like, the bank will take priority over every other debt that you have. And that's what the GSA, the general security agreement says. Um, so often, again, people are thinking like, oh, you're going to take everything. No, they can only take to the amount that they are owed. So I think some really important um, distinguishing factors uh, around what that security looks like. Can I so, ask a question on that? Just yeah. So if, if you had multiple lenders and yep. those lenders were lending for different purposes and then this lender will come in and do the, the GSA, um, Obviously, the other lenders aren't going to be super happy about that, right? Because now their loan is somewhat 
compromised or jeopardized. How does that impact um, any future loans? Does that, if then that founder was able to secure $100,000 for a second piece of equipment, is that GSA in, does that, it, does that include any new debt that is incurred or no? So what'll happen in that situation is you want to keep working with the same lender that you've already got because okay. this is where they've already got the charge. And so it makes it a lot cleaner. And you'll see a lot of situations like if a lender, say, say you're an entrepreneur, you want to switch banks, you've had it with one bank, you go to another bank. What'll happen is that bank has to pay out the former lender because there's a first charge on all of those assets and no bank will come in second. So the bank's I, you know, government always gets paid first. So that's say, where does CRA factor has to be <laughs> yes. up to date. But after that, um, then it's the banks. Okay. And when I talked earlier about a subordinated position, like a community futures, for example, they will come second to the bank. And that's really important because it allows the banks to take, to be the primary, um, uh, primary secured lender creditor. Okay. And so that's, that's what that means. So when you're dealing with the security panel of a deal, of a, of a, of a, of a loan, uh, banks, we often call them deals, but when you're dealing with um, the security panel, you're going to expect, like I said, a personal guarantee. You're going to expect this general security agreement, and you're going to expect to have to give up some um, collateral, usually that's tied to the asset. In some situations, uh, again, collateral is a big, it's a big, it's a big um, piece, but if you have uh, property assets, sometimes you can secure against those if you need additional security. So again, really important to have open conversations with the lenders so they see what your leverage points are. And I always felt like I can help so much better when I know, you know, if you're weak in one of the five C's, how can we ramp up something, something else? Because it, again, it's all about where is that risk suddenly palatable to the lender? So if you don't always have strong security, is there something else that can can bump that up to make the lender comfortable. Um, the last C is around conditions. And this is a really important one that I think we often overlook, but conditions could be internal or external to the business. And when we're looking at conditions, we're saying things like, let's take a look at the pandemic as an example, how that absolutely killed the tourism industry. So restaurants, for example, were really suffering through this. So conditions would be what's happening external in that could, that could negatively impact your ability to pay the loan. So lockdown measures, as an example, people couldn't go to restaurants. And so there's a negative condition. There's also positive conditions that can open up. Uh, for example, something really great might be happening. A new, um, let's just say a new tourist um, uh, grants or something have opened up and tourism is going to suddenly boom. That's a positive external factor to you. Some of the other external factors would be like, what kind of an interest rate are you going to get on that loan? And what are the, what are the repayment terms on that? Because the condition to that loan is do you have the cash flow to be able to meet what the interest rate is. The higher the interest rate, the more money you're going to be paying out, obviously, on that loan. And then the banks will also look at some of the internal conditions, which would be things like how strong is management? You know, how are they managing through hard times? Do they have the right team in place to be able to deliver this? Are their employees happy? Like, do they have a thriving business? So in a nutshell, there's, those are the five C's. And I'll just recap character to show who you are capacity to say we can repay this debt we've got the cash flow the capital to say that we're invested in this business as well that's your owner's equity the collateral to say here's how we can secure this money that you're lending to us and the conditions to say here are the conditions that will make us successful in repayment so that's how lenders are really looking at every single deal brilliant i think that that completely ups everybody's game and it, it you know 
when you when we started this episode, you talked about not understanding why people are getting the no, right? And the frustration with that. And um, so thank you. Thank you for taking the time to dive into each one of those C's so that we've got a better understanding of the lens of the lender so that we can better prepare ourselves going into that conversation. I know you talked a little bit about ratios. Are you okay though, if we move that into part three, give everybody a moment to just kind of sit with that information, process it. Um, and then we'll come back for part three. We'll talk a little bit about um, exactly what you need to have prepared and uh, we'll cover off on ratios if you're good with that. Yeah, you bet. And just in closing to this one, I just want to hammer the point home that you don't have to be perfect in all of those five C's. Again, it's really having that conversation to say, if the bank says no, then to say, well, what would it need? What would it need to look like? to get to a yes. And a lot of people don't go to that question because we hear the no and we think, oh, you know, <laughs> and we just, we just kind of sink into yes. our chairs. But I think being able to say, what do I need to do? Or what would it take again for that risk tolerance to be met on both sides? Brilliant, brilliant. I think that, that is a, that's a great point. Um, even outside of debt, like you, when we start looking at the, at the sales cycle, too, right? And we just stop at no. Just lean into the no, find out what it would take to get to yes. I love it. Well, and sometimes no just means I need to know more. So right? exactly. Right? Exactly. All right, founders, thanks for watching, Shannon. Thank you for being here for part two. We'll see you back in the lab for part three. And while we're here, just a huge shout out to Community Futures for all they do to help founders better maneuver this whole world of, uh, of debt as well. Okay, we'll see you back in here for part three. Thanks for watching, everyone. Okay, welcome back founders. We are here for the final segment of better understanding debt financing and uh, Shannon is back with us for part three. She's given us so many important things to think about in parts one and two. And Shannon, actually, I have been told, okay, I'm just sorry, I'm going to step back here for a second. Shannon Peston is the founder and CEO of Peston Consulting. And she's also the co-founder of the Finance Cafe, right? An online financial literacy forum for women entrepreneurs. So sorry, Shannon, I just needed to do that because I have been told I need to be consistent at the beginning of every episode so everybody knows who we're speaking to and the power that you're bringing to this conversation. So we're going to pick up where we left off, talking a little bit about ratios. And I'm amazed at how many founders out there are, um, and because I was one for the longest time, really don't have a sense of ratios and what lenders are looking at when they're crunching the numbers and they're saying your ratios don't look great. So I know you've talked a little bit about that about the with respect to the debt servicing uh, ratio and the liquidity, but maybe if you could just map that out for us in the simplest of terms so we can wrap our head around it and be better prepared for what the lenders are going to look at. You know, first of all, I really want to thank you for being vulnerable in this and saying that you, you know, this is something that you had had to learn as well because many entrepreneurs do. Again, it goes back to we didn't start our businesses because we were strong accountants. But when you start getting into the numbers and into the ratios, this is where things actually get really exciting in your business. And I'll be the first to say too, I almost failed every accounting class that I ever went into when I became a business lender. Truth, full disclosure, I didn't know how to read a financial statement. Um, and I was intimidated by it because the numbers didn't have any meaning to me. And I didn't see how the numbers connected. I didn't understand how the income statement and the balance sheet were actually telling a really relationship-driven story of what was happening in the company. 
And this is what ratios allow us to do. So when we're going into the bank, and you're right, a lot of entrepreneurs can't speak to their ratios. I actually never saw a business plan that came in when somebody was looking for money that said, here's what my ratios look like. Because ratio, and, and, and I keep thinking to myself, like, why don't we put that in business planning? Yeah. Because imagine if you go to the bank, because your ratio is going to tell you certain things like how profitable are you? How efficiently are you running your company? How leveraged are you? I mean, there are some really important, you know, ratios that are they're telling the story of a, to, to a lender. So when you're going in, I mean, let's talk about some of these ratios. The first, the first ratio, and again, it depends on what type of loan you're going for. Banks aren't going to be all looking at the same ratios at any point in time. Um, but primarily the, the three big ratios are looking at your liquidity ratio. You talked earlier about working capital. And working capital is really important, particularly because the banks want to see how solvent you are in the short term. Can you pay your debts? So what they look at is they'll take a look at your current assets. So anything that you own, assets are what you own, anything in the first that's owned in, uh, within this year, and you divide that by your current liabilities. So anything that's coming due in, that, in this coming year. So there's a time frame that matches here. And so that ratio, banks want to see it at about a 1.25 to 1, which means when you divide the assets by the liabilities, what you're showing is that you have, first of all, more, more assets than you have liabilities, but you have about $1.25 to cover every dollar of debt that you have. So you've got $1.25 in assets to a dollar. So that's the working capital ratio. Um, and it's hard to kind of see this without being able to, to draw it out. So, but really what that's looking at is how liquid are you? How solvent are you in the short term? That becomes really important when you're looking at things like lines of credit, because some, sometimes bank, you, as a company, you're going to need more working capital and the banks are going to be looking at, okay, well, why, and how would this help you? And for a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly those that extend credit to their customers, that working capital is really important. If you're cash in cash out, it's a lot easier to manage the cash of the business, yeah. but this all comes down to cash management. And a lot of entrepreneurs aren't watching their cash closely enough. So this is where the working capital becomes really important. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I suspect, uh, especially because you're in Calgary, Alberta resource, um, businesses, right. Resource service businesses that, you know, that notorious 90, 120 day turnaround before you get cash in anyways. Okay. So that was, I was diverting from our conversation, but I love that, that 125 too, like actually nailing the ratio. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And so the next, uh, the next uh, ratio that becomes really important is how leveraged you are. So banks and investors, and it's, it's, it's both, it's not just debt financing, but people want to see how is your company funded? Have you got skin in the game? Do you have too much debt? Because if you have too much debt, um, that's, also, that's also a worrying uh, factor for companies as well. Um, and so typically the banks, I mean, the ratio changes and maybe in this, like, we're dealing in COVID times right now, but uh, generally speaking, it was sort of this 75% mark. So three to one would be the ratio. So banks would give the 75, you've got, the, you've got 25% in. So, and they're gonna be looking at what your total debt looks like against your total um, owner's equity. So they're going to be looking to see how much, how much debt you have against those liabilities. So that's an important ratio. That's higher than I thought it would be quite honestly. Well, and I think I'm being generous in this one because again, okay. during pandemic okay. time okay. In, in different industries as well, it's kind of hard. Again, this is where business lending gets a little bit um, complicated because different industries have different um, ratios as well. So some of these benchmarks will come into play. The banks will take a look at what should the debt to service or debt to equity look like for certain companies. 
Um, so it's not, again, not a broad stretch, broad brush stroke approach, um, but um, it would, so typically I'd say like three to one would be still within the reasonable category. Okay. And the last ratio that um, banks are really concerned about has to deal with cash flow. So we talked earlier, how much available cash do you have to cover your loan payments? And so they'll take a look at what your net income is. They're going to take a look at what your loan payments are. So basically it's the free cash that you have in your company, the free money available in the company to cover your loan. And they wanna see about a 125, again, a dollar 25 to one. So that means again, for every dollar um, th that you owe, you've got 125 to cover that, that loan payment. Brilliant, brilliant. And so, uh... When I think how we started this off too, and we were talking about ratios, knowing your ratios, going in, calculating your ratios, understanding your math, understanding where, why you might not be where you need to be and not waiting for perfection, but being able to explain that situation. So when we look at the, um, the, the tools or the materials needed, like how, how really to, to better prepare yourself for, um, for that first meeting with a lender, we understand, look at your ratios. What other tools should they have available? What, are the, what other materials are, uh, is a lender really wanting to look at in that first or second meeting? What does that look like for you? So the first thing really is the business plan. Like the, bit, like the lender wants to see what, what's happening in this business. What's the opportunity in front of you? Like they wanna understand the management. They wanna understand the financial side of the house. They wanna see what's unique about you, how you're deriving your revenues. Um, and what you're expecting to do in the future through through lending or borrowing money to grow the company. So the business plan is vitally important. Inside that business plan, you're going to have the financial section, which would have you know your balance sheet, your income statement, your statement of cash flows. But typically, depending again on what how how much you're borrowing, the banks are going to ask to see the past performance of the company. So be prepared to bring bring in two years of uh, notice to reader statements that the bank can sort of assess because they're going to do their own ratio calculations. They're going to take a look at the financial strength and health of your company. So they're going to be assessing that. Another reason why you want to be able to know your ratios going into the bank is you can talk when you're talking the bankers talk. Um, it suddenly gets you again, it goes back to it's sort of your superpower as an entrepreneur. Um, there's going to be some personal documentation too, like your personal financial statement will be asked for. You'll be asked to um, approve a credit, a personal credit search. Um, it, and depending on, again, what the, what the loan is for, you might be asked to take a look at the aging uh, accounts receivable and accounts payable statements. Um, you can expect as well projections and uh, cash flow projections. So uh, a lot of it depends. But one thing I would say, though, that entrepreneurs often don't know is when they're going into the bank is what exactly they need. And so if, you know, if the loan is to buy, an equi buy equipment, that you want to talk about that equipment and how it's going to help move the business forward. So it's telling that story of, again, why this loan is going to help me. So knowing your loan purpose is really important and knowing what you're going to be putting in, again, to match that debt to equity, knowing what you're going to be giving up. So those five C's of credit, you know, if, if we can go back and start saying, you know, here are my mitigating, my mitigating factors, you're talking the banker's talk, and it's so much uh, more empowering to have that conversation. Brilliant, brilliant. And you, you bring up a really good point. I remember um, with my lending hat on, one of the, the questions that the founder was um, not always necessarily in a position to answer, how much money do you need and what are you going to use it for? And understanding either startup capital or expansion capital, understanding assets, and then understanding working capital, 
right? Yes. And that lenders lend for different reasons, as you mentioned, and being able to kind of divide it into those, into those three categories to just be able to go boom, 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 this is what I need. Um, and just really quickly, uh, you've already you've already been so generous with your time. I'm curious though, um, contingency funds. So let's just say a founder has this beautiful, you know, two-year cash flow projection and everything's, you know, adding up and it looks good. Will a lender lend for contingency purposes, or does that typically get put into an operating line so that there's a buffer in the event that the plan doesn't go according to plan? Sort of throw that on you last minute. I'm just came to mind as we're wrapping up here. Well, having a contingency plan is all about working capital, right? So as a as an entrepreneur, you want to have that working capital. So the the banks, um, I'm not sure I'm answering your question properly, but every entrepreneur should know. You know, if my business, if I lost a major customer, if I wasn't generating revenues for six months, how much do I need to have? I mean, the banks certainly look at that, but that's where your business plan comes in as well. And again, this whole five C's of credit, the banks are going to say, well, what's happening in the industry? What could derail this loan? What could make this good loan on paper go sideways? And so every entrepreneur is at risk, but keeping a healthy working capital, keeping cash in the company is vitally important. Um, or, and if, you know, I understand you don't want to always keep cash in a bank account because it's not necessarily working for you, but knowing how to invest that money and working with an advisor inside the business too, to help you manage your cash um, as efficiently and as profitably as possible. So smart. So smart. I will just say we, we did an episode with, uh, with Neil Jones from BDO where he was talking all about stress testing your financials. And so if anybody's interested in doing that here, it's just like you talked about, Shannon, it's about, you know, what happens if this portion of the revenue stops? What happens if you lose an employee? What happens if that supplier goes by the wayside and now you're paying, you know, 7% more on those costs just to see what that does to your bottom line to make sure that you've got uh, yeah, and you know, great point. And like the stress testing is a simple, I'm going to put it in simple terms too, because sometimes people think that it's this big elaborate thing that you need to do, but sort of that worst case, best case and realistic case. And it's just manipulating some of the numbers. So working with an accountant who can put this in an Excel spreadsheet for you so that you have a formula that you're working with. So if I increase my revenues by X, how is that going to shape, you know, things at the end of the year? Like as an entrepreneur, again, once we know how the numbers work and once we understand the story the power that you have as a knowledge base to run your business is just so much more, but the stress test is super important, but really just a budget looking at your best, worst and uh, realistic case scenario. And I encourage everyone to do that. I love it. Oh, Shannon, I could talk all day with you, I think. Uh, yes. Anyways, we won't do that to you. We won't do that to the founders. We can only take so much information on numbers, especially money and finance uh, at a time. But thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time this morning. So much uh, value in this conversation. So many tips. Um, you know, if you're watching this, please look at the show notes. We're going to make sure that a lot of these tips are just kind of punched out there very powerfully in the show notes so that uh, it's a good recap for you. Also, please be sure to download the tip sheet because this is where we're going to have a lot of uh, Shannon's information in there that's actually in written format. And please, before you go, don't forget to download some of the tools. So Shannon, some of the tools that we're going to put in addition to this episode, we've got a cash flow forecast. We've got a startup cost template. We're going to throw in there a personal budget so that owners can understand what they actually need to be generating from this business. Um, and I... Uh, I think we're going to have some links to uh, understanding your credit as well, but um, it is actually really easy these days, isn't it? When with your bank to typically 
I know a lot of banks right now just say here, look at your credit score and they make it super easy without you having to go through a lot of hoops. So, okay, let's leave it there, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, I hope this was helpful to the founders and, uh, you know, wishing everyone continued success on your entrepreneurial journey. And Tanya, thanks for inviting me to, to be a part of yours and the founders journeys today. Oh, well, thank you. Hopefully we can have you back into the lab sometime soon. And again, just a huge shout out to our episode champions, Community Future Sunrise. Thank you for all that you do for founders. Um, lenders really were, they, they were the frontline responders for entrepreneurs across the country through this pandemic. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you founders for watching and we will see you in here for the next episode of The Gap Lab. Bye for now.